welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 78. Rich, how was your holidays? Holidays were fantastic. Did a little bit of driving all over Texas. It's weird. I was telling you before we started recording the the weather here is insane. Like we, we had 82 degrees Fahrenheit one day, which I mean, that's warm. I mean, that's shorts weather. And then tornadoes that night. And then the next morning it was like 40 degrees. So we dropped 40, deg- 40 degrees Fahrenheit in 24 hours. That's insane. So 82 degrees Fahrenheit is 27 degrees Celsius for those people that aren't in America. That's bloody hot. Yep. Yeah. In the middle of December for, you know, this part of the world is odd definitely odd yeah that is insane and they explain why was it just a weird front that came through or yeah we we, i I don't i think this is more of like a a north america thing but there's this what they call el nino and it's uh, the the ocean's current does something weird every so many years and it it causes kind of really odd weather in the in the states and that's this year so we're getting a lot more rain and i think you guys are getting a lot more snow in the mountains and things like that and uh it's just odd weather yeah i had some fun last weekend we went up to snoqualmie which uh mrs picked a hike out for us to do and we went drive down the um, I-90, and as we were getting closer, I'm like, this is really close to Snoqualmie Pass, which is where there's a big ski resort, uh, one of the more beginner ski resorts compared to, like, Crystal and Whistler and so forth up here. And um, everyone's parked on the side of the road, putting on snow chains. And um, as we got closer, it started to snow, and, you know, there's me in the S5 with low-profile tires on it, and uh, all the guys in the trucks are laughing at me as I'm, you know, driving by. And the the GPS was like, turn left here. And we got off the freeway and then it said, turn left here. And there was just nothing to turn left into <laughs> because there was just, it was just snow. It was like 15 foot of snow on the side of the bank where the road should be. So that canceled our hike. So we ended up just going to the ski resort with a cup of uh, hot chocolate, watching the snowboarders um, on the fresh powder. But um, everyone's been going crazy here because last year there was literally no ski season whatsoever. And so this year, there's, you know, that everyone's out there today. So I think the people that, that Redmond's empty because people have taken the week off to go abuse the ski, ski slopes this week. Well, lucky them. I'm, I'm hoping to go in February, but uh, haven't been able to make it up in a while. So, yeah, I, um, I want to go. And I know uh, CJ and his wife, Vicky, went this weekend and um, they left at like seven in the morning, got on the slopes and they were back home. Uh, eating lunch at 1 p.m. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good way of going skiing. I've always kind of considered it more of a vacation type thing, but the fact you can get to these mountains in an hour and get on the slopes is pretty incredible. Yeah, when I lived in Colorado, there were days where we'd take off work, go ski, do night skiing at like Keystone and and be back. You'd just go skiing for the evening. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to go and have a crack at it. We started playing ice hockey again, so I figured I might as well get, get into skiing while I'm here as well. There you go. So, um... Did you get all the presents you wished for? Yeah, for the most part, you know. Um, it's it's weird when you're, you know, my wife and my family tell me it's it's hard to shop for you because, you know, at some point when you want something, you just kind of save the money and go out and, and get it. <laughs> and so it you get harder to shop for. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly on the same. Yeah, and then I'm just not patient enough to wait for Christmas to actually get it. Yeah, so, but yeah, it was, it was a good time, you know. Uh, a lot of driving, but uh, it makes me realize how big the state i live in is but it was it was good i got my uh bb8 drone sphero bluetooth ball thing oh really yeah i not that convinced actually i mean it's a really cool gimmick but after you play with it for five minutes you're like yeah what else can it do that's when you set up little ramps for it but it's kind of small isn't it yeah i mean it's probably four inches in diameter and it's pretty fast it doesn't work very well on my carpet it goes well on the wooden floors but um, it's already kind of committed suicide a few times and its head's fallen off when it's gone down my stairs, which um, my Roomba vacuum cleaner is more intelligent and doesn't leap off the stairs. It kind of stops. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did just see on a YouTube video because I was like, what What are people doing with these things? The uh, normal Sphero ball is programmable. It's got an API that you can reach into from um, a Mac or a PC. 
and there's like kids games on mobile phones that you can like you program the robot to do certain maneuvers and and so forth whereas this is almost just like a remote controlled car but as a ball themed as a star wars character um so it'll be interesting to see whether they open up the sdk for it so that because it must be in there because it's the same firmware as a normal sphero ball it's just painted like a the bb8 character in a star wars film so um yeah we'll see I've, I've got i'm gonna go and put it on my pool table later because i did see in the youtube trailer that um it, it can weave round all the pool, pool balls on a table if you put it on there and put it in discover mode oh nice so yeah we'll be interested to see what that does cool but that was my little kind of treat from the missus which was nice very good and um it's been a quiet week surprisingly or not surprisingly well some years people get really out of control and start blogging away i did notice sahil uh malik was tweeting up a storm on christmas day on the 25th ranting a fair bit actually yeah he, he actually mentioned me on one <laughs> looking for an answer on yeah he was kind of like uh, moaning about horrible user interface in Office 365 and moaning about the Azure login stream, which actually was valid because it doesn't show the full username. Then he had like four email addresses that all at the same because it was just dot, dot, dots where he was using different demo tenants and you couldn't see the demo tenant name. But um, I said to him, I said, get, get those things on Connect. Like he's on, he's an MVP. You should be able to jump in there and submit those things as feedback. But Ranting about it on uh, the 25th of December when Redmond is dormant is probably not the best way of getting anyone's attention. He's got something up his sleeve. He was doing uh, asking about yeah. doing Open ID Connect, just you know, 100% client side in a spa. So um, I'll be interesting, excited to see what you're working on, Sahil. Yeah, that, that's the other thing is like he clearly was trying to get something done, and like it's obviously if it's that time of the year, it's personal playtime probably more than his customer work. So keep plugging away but yeah i wouldn't expect too many answers this week on stack or um twitter from anyone in redmond i mean i'm working but um yeah it's hard for me to get answers sometimes if they're really technical based on a particular engineering team me having to go and dig out the answer of people usually i just jump on skype and ask them but there is no one here this week yeah but um there were a few blogs um vesa posted the um pnp the office 365 pnp stuff so the SharePoint NuGet packages and PMP core component was last week's webcast presentation with him and Bert Janssen um, talking about remote provisioning framework, remote timer jobs, um, and the authentication layer all using these NuGet packages pulled down to kind of wrap and make it a lot easier to do the SharePoint stuff. Um, so that's that's definitely worth having a look. That was like a 37-minute presentation. And then um, the other one that they did, which was around throttling, which I know we've had a lot of questions about in the past. I know um, Mark Anderson had a lot of questions around this, just trying to understand how CSOM was working to um, do the throttling. And Burton Visa did another one of those, just kind of showing how you can do that with the SharePoint add-ins and so forth too, just some guidance on how you can use the, the, um, the SDK that they provide. Um, to or the NuGet packages, sorry, and the PMP core DLLs to kind of handle the the throttling in a better way. So that was that was good for them to be sharing those things. And that video was 23 minutes long. So they're all available on docs.com/slash/office-dev-pnp. So they they're using that public service for sharing PowerPoint slides and you know hosting the videos on Azure and so forth in Channel Nine. So that was good little. If you got some spare time this week, you can catch up on those videos for sure. Yep. What else did you see out there, mate? Well, at the Scott Hillier, uh, obviously, you know, one of the really strong MVPs in the um, office dev space. He did a really good write-up um, on the IT Unity site on building Excel 2016 add-ins with Angular 2. So I, I, you know, right before the holidays, did a kind of an intro into Angular 2 with the Office 365 API. So that's doing more of a standalone approach. So Scott's approach here was, well, let's do it in an add-in. And so he does it in an Excel add-in and a little bit of a different approach. So this, I, I tried to kind of take the TypeScript approach and what I did. And, and this was probably a little bit easier for um, maybe existing 
uh, office add-in developers to get familiar with Angular 2 because this is a pure JavaScript approach that he takes. And so he goes through all the different script files that are kind of required there, um, how you might reference those on um, uh, the, the Angular JS CDN, and then how you do some of the unique Angular things in the Angular 2 world here. So how you bootstrap it in uh, with the office.initialize. So definitely check this out. Um, you know, again, Angular 2, it's an official beta now. So uh, if you're doing anything in Angular 1, you really need to start getting familiarized with uh, the, the differences. Um, and, and he actually does a good job of kind of uh, highlighting some of those here. So uh, definitely check that out if you're uh, interested. Yeah, and then um, I, I am going to get a chance to play with that this week as well. I did want to, that was one of my things. If it's going to be quite weak, I'm going to actually write some code for a change. And I've noticed that um, Steve Curran has been busy too. So we've been mentioning him for the last few weeks on the podcast. Um, he's been doing some stuff around what's new in SharePoint 2016. I mean, that remote API that's now available in the beta because of the fact that it's kind of this, um, the same ba dev base as the SharePoint Online is. And one of the things that he's been looking at is the uh, the sharing capabilities. And so he's got this add-in for Visual Studio, um, which is called the SP Remote API Explorer, which currently works with the 2013 version of the Remote API. Um, and so now he's got it so that in beta, and I think he's just demoing it in his part of his blog post, is that you'll be able to kind of open it up and explore what's going on in there. A little bit how you do with IL Spy or, um, or Reflector. Um, and so inside of this, um, you can see all, all the different methods of can the member share, uh, basically about sharing with individuals via a file or a, a SharePoint site that you want to share out via an API. And so he just kind of, writes a little bit of uh, JSON code there to show how you would do that and adding different users into that sharing um, via that API. So it's useful just to see if you're a SharePoint Server guy and your company's looking to move to SharePoint Server 2016 in the near future, then um, that will be a really useful thing to kind of kind of follow as Steve and keeps pushing through and blogging those things as he goes through. But um, as I say, that was, uh, that was it. There was two external ones and then Vesa and Bert doing their usual weeklies. But um, we thought we'd do something a bit different on the intro before we introduce the, the main core intro on this, uh, this podcast with uh, Sean Maloney and Ryan Gregg about OneDrive, which was just to kind of reflect on the year. We're up to episode 78, Rich. Did you really think when you signed up to do this that we'd get this far? You know, it's those numbers grow fast. Um, you, you know, it, it's amazing how much we've done in in just one year. Uh, you know, we've been consistent every week. We've we've put together the show and you know have had good listenership. And you know, it, it to me again, it amazes me how quick those numbers jump up. It seems like we were in the 30s or 40s just the other day, and and now we're you know quickly approaching show 100. Yeah, and um, I mean we'll have to do something really major for the episode 100 as well. We'll have to think of something really cool to do. But um, what have been your favorite shows this year? Yeah, you know, looking back on 2015, um, I, I'd have to say one of my favorite shows was when we were at Dev Intersection in, Aust in um, Arizona. And uh, we were poolside at the time. And uh, Mike Fitzmorris was there, Andrew Connell, yourself. Um, we were, it was when we were in this little quick fad of doing uh, funny sounding videos. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I have fond memories of that one and, you know, doing that poolside uh, recording, talking to Mike. And uh, that was, to me, definitely one that stands out in my mind that, that was a lot of fun recording. Yeah, we, um, I, I think for me, the episode 48 with Eric Shups was a good one because Shups has been in the community for a long time as a SharePoint MVP. I mean, he was one of the original MVPs in the SharePoint space. And, you know, I remember following him years and years when I was in Australia as a consultant and, and learned a lot from him with what he shared. And, you know, he's continued to share amongst a lot of the other guys that have been around that long too. And it was good for Shups to kind of give his opinion on the add-in model um, and and really kind of share his thoughts from someone who wears an a, an ISV kind of partner hat building products that he wants to be able to sell to customers in the store, but also as someone that's doing kind of custom work for customers in an enterprise setting where the store isn't isn't relevant and where they may already be 
you know, using farm full trust solutions or even sandbox solutions and, and why maybe the adding model doesn't fit quite correctly as it could do um, moving forward and, and, and some of the feedback he had on what he'd like to see the SharePoint developer model kind of evolve into in the future. So that was a, a really cool episode, I think, on 48 for sure. Yeah, and that was so, you know, we had so much discussion with Eric. That was one of those ones that ended up being a, a two-part. We ended up doing 48 and 49 with Eric just because, you know, he's certainly never been one that's been had a loss of words. So we had a, you know, a really good long discussion that we ended up, were able to split into two shows. So that was a, um, you know, I would agree that was a, a really big highlight, I think, of my year as well. Another one for me was, it had to be episode 69, where we had really the the one of the fathers of, of AngularJS, Brad Green, uh, on the show. I thought that was an amazing uh, opportunity when we were, you know, in London for Angular Connect. And, you know, he was in kind of his green room where different media and interviews were kind of getting marched through there. And he kind of cleared it out and just gave us kind of full access to him for, you know, an hour there that day. And um, I just thought that was such a, not a, a cool, not only a cool thing from Brad's standpoint to do for us, but, you know, I think it also showed how Angular and Google are starting to look at the the Office dev platform as, as opportunistic because of, you know, the, the, you know, sheer number of users that are using Office. I thought it's starting to build some really awesome synergies between the company and, you know, our, our access to Brad that week was, um, I thought, just incredible. Yeah, the fact he, he made an effort to turn up to the hackathon and watch the presentations at the beginning and to get a good understanding about what people were going to build using Angular in those add-ins. And if you want to check them out, they are at dev.office.com slash hackathons. You can go and see the different things that people built at the various different events we've done this year, um, which was another personal highlight for me as that was an initiative like I, I was responsible for in, in my role in, in the PMG team. But I think Brad was just really kind of, he gave everything and it was really nice to see that. And I think, you know, from a, if you kind of step back from a technology perspective, we're seeing more and more of this. You know, I think the ad that Microsoft Marketing did this year for the, the, the holiday period. Uh, I don't know whether this was screened globally, but um, in definitely in North America, it was screened where the staff from the Microsoft uh, store, which is in on 6th Avenue, I believe in New Manhattan. I've not been there because I haven't lived there in two years now, but um, it just recently opened. And basically the staff were cherry picked to go to walk up from the Microsoft store that's in Manhattan up to outside the Apple store, which is obviously in a prestigious store, uh, prestigious store, sorry. And it's the big, beautiful glass cube that was originally built uh, with a lot of glass panels. And then uh, Steve Jobs kind of demanded that it only be a minimal amount. And so they replaced them with even more expensive glass. And it, it was nice to see that you know, Microsoft screened that ad on TV, you know, Microsoft singing outside of the Apple store, giving them free marketing, but really giving that message of the fact that the world's a big place and that we all need to get on. And, you know, there's enough, enough business out there for everyone. And, and, and so Apple, you know, had been doing the same thing as well. And, and so have Google and, and so, I mean, a lot of these other big players as well. So it's, it's nice to see that just because Google may have a, a competing product in the office space that they can still get along with us um, from other parts of their product sets within the company. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's a really cool episode. And I loved how um, honest and open he was with some of the decisions they made. And, um, you know, he did allude to the fact that Angular 2 would be in beta uh, very soon after we'd spoke to him. But, you know, even in that meeting, what we had, he was disclosing months of a little bit further out into 2016 from a beta perspective. So they've obviously, uh, you know, accelerated and picked up some speed there, which was good to see too. Yep. And I know you've been playing with it pretty hard. It's good stuff, man. I uh, I think it has a lot of, a lot of really cool potential, especially on the mobile side. I'm ready to you know, I'm a huge Cordova fan and, and, you know, doing things with Ionic. And I know that, uh, you know, Ionic and Angular are working really close together on V2 and what they might do. And um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited on what, what all we'll be able to do there. So hopefully maybe we'll get to have Brad on again. Another thing that I, I was shocked by with Brad was um, just kind of the how humble he was. 
you know, he was he's very low key considering he runs that entire team. Right. You know, very, very low key and wasn't looking for any sort of limelight or anything like that. In fact, I think when he introduced himself, you know, I if unless you're familiar with Angular World, you probably don't know necessarily who he is. And he really didn't give much of an intro of of what he actually did for that team that he ran the team, you know, again, very humble, just wanted to, you know, get the word out about Angular 2 and Angular. And um, I thought, I, you know, really stand up guy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking at it on from a community side and seeing the traction and the interest they're getting around to uh, specifically because, you know, we've been through that journey with SharePoint from a transitional farm solutions to the adding model. And, and, you know, we've had our challenges there on, and on swinging the needle over and, and people moving on to this model um, for the, you know, the store scenarios and for the SharePoint online scenarios. And it's interesting to see how Angular team have been doing that V uh, via like the V1 to the V2 type swing and and how people kind of were up in arms at first and now I've kind of realized that, you know, these guys are being really, really clear on exactly why they're going in this direction and this is what they're sharing and so forth. So it's neat to see that journey uh, that another framework is doing in that sense for sure. Yep. And then um, my other... Uh, favorite episode this year was um, episode 72 which was with Chris O'Brien who is based in the UK and again has been in in the traps as uh, sharepointnutsandbolts.com for forever I think he was you know in the same kind of limelight as Eric Shups and Andrew Connor and Rob Bogue and and um, Scott Hillier and, and Ted Patterson and so forth in that space of kind of SharePoint pro developers bloggers from way back when in the SharePoint 2007 and 2003 days. And um, everyone has given me feedback on Twitter, on email, saying we need to get Chris on the show more because it, he is out there in the field working with very large customers in the UK through the partner that he works with, Content and & Code. And um, he shares a lot of his learnings as he does these large, those large products uh, or projects, sorry, not so much products. And it's really interesting to see kind of the ALM stuff that he pushes to try and automate a lot of the work he does with his customers and the reuse that he does and, and how he builds these things in, in larger teams with a, with a group of different developers. So, um, yeah, that was a really fun show to do. And, you know, it only took 72 episodes to get him on, but I'm glad we finally did. And I definitely want to get him on a few more times early next year um, with a few of the other things we're going to be announcing in the SharePoint space that I want to get his feedback and opinions on too. Yeah, yeah. Chris is awesome. I mean, it was. It, I can't believe it took us as long to get him on the show as it did, but um, yeah. And so um, your week this week, chilled, still coding more and more? Yeah, you know, it's obviously um, both for those that aren't in the States, both the area around December 25th, which is Christmas in the U.S. and and the first of the year is usually a pretty slow time. And so, you know, this is a good time to maybe listen to some old podcasts you haven't listened to yet or pick up on a, maybe a new platform or technology you have been wanting to to do. I'm going to be doing the same. Um, there's some things that I'm working on uh, in the kind of mobile arena, but I'm excited to kick off 2016 next week. Yeah, and um, we did have a tweet that I went put out on December 22nd, so I'm assuming there was quite a few people off already, uh, but a lot of people have it on their phones and, you know, keep up to date when they're uh, commuting or maybe on the can, and we only had 21 votes. So I asked the question, who liked the fake ad in the latest Office 365 dev podcast? A new one this week. So there's been two fake ads we did in episode 77 and 76, 24% loved it, 19% yawned it, and 15 57% sorry, said they hadn't listened to it yet. So um, you only get 24-hour window with these Twitter polls, but they are quite good because the engagement is you can do that directly from the Twitter app without having to launch into a, a web browser to use other kind of polling platforms. So um, keep an eye on those polls. We'll do a few more in the next few weeks and, and using the hashtag Office365Dev. And uh, we'd love your feedback to get an idea about, you know, who you'd want on the show and um, what kind of things you, you're interested in and, and, and so forth. So um, we'd love to get some engagement up. We know we're getting around kind of like 30,000 
people viewing or listening to the show once they're released within about a three or four week period. But um, we don't get too much love on Twitter and, and on the socials with um, sharing the podcast and stuff. So we'd appreciate it if you guys, if you're enjoying the show or if you enjoy a particular one, we'd love to um, see your your feedback in, in Twitter and Facebook kind of announcing those podcasts to get it spread, uh, spread the love across other people to make sure other people can discover the podcast. I did just find out I um, treated myself to on Black Monday, Cyber Monday, a Amazon Echo and uh, even Alexa has our show on there, Rich. So you can actually listen to the Office 365 Dev podcast on the um, the uh, the Amazon Echo, which is really neat. Nice. I think that's been my favorite gadget of all year. Um, I'm about to put my Apple Watch on eBay, so that definitely wasn't my favorite gadget. But yeah, already, and I've only had it a few weeks. I have used the Echo pretty much daily for playing music or controlling my lights in my house or um, asking particular questions around what time is it in Perth in Western Australia before I Skype my parents and so forth. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see this year uh, what the other guys do in this space and um, how quickly Amazon dominate in that space before others come along. Yep. But um, yeah, so this week you're doing your fake ad. And so you promised to do a Vesa Uvenen style Finglish ad. So we'll roll it now before our interview with Sean and Ryan. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the gold standard in language training. It's fast, easy, and it's your key to opening doors to new experiences. With Rosetta Stone, you can learn at your own pace in the privacy of your own home. Rosetta Stone teaches you language the way you learn naturally, through conversation. With Rosetta Stone Finglish, you can learn great conversational phrases such as, This is one of the demos, uh, one of the codes, uh, one of the samples. So we have the SharePoint, the Office 365, Good. Um, exactly. Exactly. So order Rosetta Stone Fingers today and get ready to pack your bags. Because soon you'll be saying, how do I authenticate? Okay, so I'm on a Skype call today. It's uh, the 22nd of December. So Redmond is basically a dust town right now. There is plenty of parking in the parking lot. Uh, there are no lines at the cafes. Most of the cafes are shut, so we're having to go off campus. And um, it's a really productive time to get some work done. So um, I appreciate you coming on the uh, the show, Sean. Uh, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm excited you, to be on the Famous Jeremy podcast. Yeah, right. Are you, um, are, you, are you taking any time off over the vacation period, or are you storming through? You know, uh, I'm going to take a couple days between Christmas and New Year's, but uh, so I think it's my last day in the office. A little work from home, but uh, yeah. Uh, I'll be. I'm going to hang around uh, Seattle. Cool. And and how long have you been at Microsoft for? I know we've been working together quite closely for the last year, but um, how long have you been at Microsoft for? All up. So I've been at Microsoft for about seven years, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it's it's funny when I think about it. I've been working on lots of different dev developer platforms ever since I got here. So I started working on the healthcare developer platform called Health Vault. Uh, did that for a few years, and then I worked on Windows 8 apps with developers and Windows 8 focused on media and healthcare for a few years. And then when we switched over to Windows 10, I, I uh, came over to Office and OneDrive. So uh, it's a whole new developer space, whole new developer problem, but tons of opportunities. So I'm psyched. Yeah, and and so from a like it wearing the same hat as me almost, right? So you're um, in the product marketing side, not on engineering. Uh, and you sit alongside people that these guys would know on the podcast in terms of Mark Cashman and Bill Bear and Ruben and yeah 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 so um yeah you know uh, you know Jeremy we, we we sit in similar worlds so I fit in the OneDrive product marketing team um, and so the the problem that I'm trying to solve and what I'm thinking about is you know how do we make OneDrive the preferred cloud storage place um, but really. Talk, telling the story of our ecosystem, right? And, and focusing on working with partners that can drive use in interesting scenarios for our customers. Um, so it's kind of customer marketing from, a, from an ecosystem perspective. And, uh, you know, it, you know, SharePoint is, is, is pretty close to the OneDrive world. So I work with, you know, Ruben on OneDrive, Ruben Kripner on OneDrive for Business, Bill thinking about SharePoint. But it, it, it's all the same files world. It's just uh, lots of different endpoints. And so uh, that, that, that's kind of what we've been trying to 
get get aligned around. Right, and and that journey, um, kind of that convergence that's happened over the last two to three year period has been where we had the SharePoint world where you could store files in document libraries, and then you had um, at the other end of the spectrum you had OneDrive where we had this like con- consumer. Um, I've got a Microsoft account story where I store my personal documents. And over time, like that's evolved. Do you want to talk a little bit about how, how that happened and what products have, have kind of merged along as we've gone through that journey? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of different things that are going on. Uh, I think the endpoint that we're trying to reach to, when we think about OneDrive from a developer perspective, we really want you know OneDrive to be the home for files across Office 365. Um, so you know your files can be created in SharePoint groups. They can be created in a OneDrive consumer. They can be created in OneDrive for business. Um, they're created in Office 365 groups, but at the end of the day, it's all about you know how do we create you know OneDrive as being the developer platform for how you reach files in Office 365, and so so that's where we want to get to. But there's a bunch of different lots of different work happening to get to that point. So there is you know. When you think about at the product level, we did a lot of work on trying to align the vision of OneDrive consumer and OneDrive for business because the same name, but they kind of came from different places. Um, but we wanted to create, you know, one set of experiences for all your data at home and at work. And, you know, you've, you've probably seen some information on the press about this. You know, uh, the OneDrive for business user experience was something different before. Um, you know, it was, you know, very SharePoint heavy UI. And then we, we modified that a few months ago where, you know, where the web and mobile experiences for OneDrive and OneDrive for Business are the same. Um, and so it's only natural to say, you know, how do we create a place where the developer platform for OneDrive and OneDrive for Business are the same? Um, and so at the end of the day, the, only, the, the, the big difference between OneDrive and OneDrive for Business is, you know, one is OneDrive for Business is backed by like the Enterprise Security Foundation of Boss 365. Um, and OneDrive consumer is meant for your personal files that you keep in your personal basis. And OneDrive for Business is your, you know, your personal files that you keep that are owned by your work. Um, but when you think about, but aside from the, the different types of files you may put in there, it's all it's 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 really the, the same. It's really the, it's really the same platform, and it's really accessible through the same developer platform. So that's that's what we're really excited about. It brings it all kind of together. And the user experience is intentionally converging so that it's the same on both in the way it look and feel and the the functionality for for me as a whether I'm putting the file in one or the other, right? Yeah, that, that's it. And it started with the mobile experience, right? You go, you download yep. the mobile app, you can kind of pick: Are you looking at your business files, your consumer files? And we want to get to that kind of same type of experience and the same level of familiarity with uh, our business product. Yeah, and it's funny, I just switched ecosystems. I was an Apple um, fanboy and decided to give the Android another chance because my contract was up for renewal. And uh, I must admit, I prefer uh, the experience on uh, the Android. I think the Android one seems to be where some experiments are happening in terms of um, like how we how I navigate between the documents I store for work and where I the na- ones I navigate for my personal life as well. And it just it's really really a great experience when I want to access documents, especially now that we have Word, Excel, PowerPoint um, on those devices as well. Like I can open and view those things, no problem. Yeah, no, it's, it's our mobile apps we're, we're super proud of. I mean, um, you know, we have, we have a great mobile team and if you look at the reviews, you know, constantly going up on iOS and on Android. So uh, I think we're doing the right thing on mobile. Um, so uh, we're really excited about that. And and then in addition to that, I think the other bit that I really like and I feel is a, a huge benefit for kind of storing files in those um, in, in those two locations is that you know whenever I'm in Outlook now, if I'm using Outlook 2016 and I want to attach a document, it's doing things like uh, recently accessed documents or saved documents in OneDrive in that picker for me, so I don't have to go and find it. It just suggests, well, actually, you were just you work on this document in Word that you happen to save in OneDrive for business. Maybe you want to attach that document to your mail, which is is often the case so that those little like productivity saves are a huge benefit and just shows you that power of um you know the, the ability of storing those things in one drive one drive for business yeah i mean yeah and it's um you know that 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 that, uh, that recently used thing um it, it's another scenario that's really close to that is 
you know, making it so that a file uploads to the cloud by default, um, so you can manage sharing in OneDrive and you're not dealing with attachments. That's something that we saw in our, that's something we did in our OneDrive consumer service a while back. Um, but really getting people to get the most out of the cloud, like even in their email workflows, so they're not dealing with attachments all the time. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just really powerful and it just makes life so much easier. Do document merge hell compared to a document <laughs> living in OneDrive that has co-authoring, yeah. for instance. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it just makes it all really easier. So, uh, yeah, that 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 came out in Outlook 2016, and you know, you know, I think you'll see that that focus on collaboration uh, in in OneDrive, uh, especially with with other Office houses. And and I know uh, recently we announced the the Sync clients being updated. Is there much you can share there to people listening? That uh, I know that was a big bone of contention around the usage with with the Sync. Is what, what where are we at now? Because there was some promises made near the beginning of the year, and and how that's changed in the last few months with the sync clients yeah no it's uh it's you know we gosh probably a few months back we said we needed there was a work there was work we need to be done and so we had a um so we had a pilot that was introduced or a, a tap if you will um but it's it's ga to ga i think uh a couple of days ago on the 15th um so we're starting to get that in the hands of customers um so updated sync for mac and for pc and uh, it's awesome. We're getting really great initial customer feedback, and that's just been huge, right? You know, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's hard to get people to adopt the cloud when we make it hard for them. And we think that this was a huge first step and uh, in unified sync. And and uh, and also, we I love that announcement too because we had some developer news in there as well. Um, got some new features in there uh, from our developer platform perspective. So lots of momentum on the one drive from this side. I think I think we've we've crossed the chasm. Or chasm, if you will. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, so we've got a, uh, another guest that's on today uh, that came on a little bit later, but I wanted you to jump him in and introduce him to the show now because it's a good kind of segue into uh, what we're doing around the, the APIs and the auth. So, Ryan, uh, welcome to the show again. You've been on back in February on episode 35, but uh, how things have changed since then, huh, Ryan? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good year, I think, for us since then. And um, um, you've been working quite closely with Sean from the marketing side on kind of making sure that we're communicating all the things that are coming out around um, OneDrive and OneDrive for Business around the APIs. Um, but I know since last time we talked, you know, a lot's um, actually um, been updated in our story there that you told as a future, but now is actually present. So maybe uh, you want to give a little bit of an update on, on how things have changed in that journey um, in, t- in terms of where we were in February um, before Build. And, and, and obviously now we've had the Connect event six months after Build and, and kind of the, out the other side of that moving into 2016. That's right. Yeah, last February, we were really just rolling out the the initial release of the OneDrive API for the consumer um, service or OneDrive Personal, and since that time, you know, we went through Build and and the Ignite conferences, and we showed you guys a preview of where we were going with the converged API for OneDrive, OneDrive for Business, and SharePoint. And then um, just last month in November at the Connect conference, we were able to release to, um, to everybody now uh, generally available the API that is unified between OneDrive, OneDrive for Business, and SharePoint files. Um, and also release that API as part of the Microsoft Graph API so that we have this unification of not just the, the OneDrive um, and Office 365 file services, but actually all of that unified with the rest of the Office 365 APIs, which is great. And, and what's that benefit? Like I know, you know we, we pushed quite heavily last year around the discovery service and using the discovery service to find where your OneDrive for Business URL was and then hitting those URLs. And then and, you know, at Build, we talked about the unified API and the graph. What 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 is the main differences there in terms of, like, engineering ownership of the direct endpoint versus the Microsoft endpoint? And why would you pick one over the other? Like, what what, what would be the kind of decision points there? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, the way that Graph works with is really sort of building on top of what we offer as a, as a service um, through the direct API endpoint today. And so... Um, Graph adds a lot of unique functionality to be able to do things like trending around, where you can see activity and files that are happening around particular users that any one service doesn't necessarily know the answer to. Um, so Graph is really where we we start, and we tell people to, to start evaluating how they would build their scenario on Graph. And then there are some capabilities that are still only available through the direct API endpoint today. Um, just as sort of a, 
point in time problem where those features haven't made it into graph yet. And so if there are features and capabilities that are not in graph um, that the developer needs for their solution, then we say, you know, it's okay to, to use the direct endpoint or to fall back to the direct endpoint. And in fact, um, in SharePoint, we have even sort of a third fallback, which is that if there's capabilities that are not yet in our new API that you need to have available, you can use the SharePoint 2013 REST APIs um, to to fall back and and find what you're looking for there. Um, so the you know the story is is much easier if all of the functionality that you're looking for is available in Graph to now write a solution that works for either personal OneDrive customers or OneDrive for Business customers, where you don't have to worry about multiple uh, API endpoints, you don't have to worry about multiple authentication channels with the new converged auth that's in preview. Um, you can just sort of have one nice clean story. And then, you know, we're, we're working as hard as we can to get all of the functionality available through that clean story because obviously that's what is best for everyone. Yeah. Um, and until we have it all there, then there's sort of the fallback to needing to know SharePoint tenant endpoints and needing to know if it's a personal user or a business user and things like that. But, um, yeah, over time, those, those, the differences between what's available in Graph and the direct API endpoint will definitely be shrinking. And, and what kind of examples are there? I know we've, we've recently talked about this in internal meetings, but just to give people the idea, like it's not that extreme. Like the, the typical scenarios are covered by the Graph, but just as some examples of things that aren't in the Graph yet that you'd have to go to the direct endpoint for. Yeah, the the biggest thing I think that, that people will, will notice is the ability to upload file large files using the resumable upload API that we have is not yet available through Graph today. Um, so if you're uploading a file through graph, the only option that you have is the simple put case, which um, I think actually in graph is limited to files of about four megabytes, which is um, a pretty significant limitation right now. But we're, we're working to, to bring that uh, file upload API into graph soon so that we have that capability there too. Um, it's it's really just you know thing things like that sort of the actions that you can perform in the API that are not all available in Graph today. Yeah, so like the sharing that I find extremely useful. Like if I've got a folder full of files and I want to share them externally, or maybe with some colleagues internally, you'll be able to do that via the API, which you can do right now in the direct endpoints, but not in the Graph. That's right. Okay, and then you talked a little bit about this this notion of a Microsoft account, personal, consumer, different terms you'll hear um, us all use um, versus is work and school or organizational account or Office 365 account. Um, the main benefit there is is that whether they're using OneDrive or they're using OneDrive for business, uh, the API shape is the same. So I'm not learning two different shapes APIs to be able to basically create, read, update, delete documents and do whatever else we want to do with a file that lives within one of those two services. But um, in terms of the converged auth that's in preview, what are they using now that's generally available to call the graph compared to the converged auth? Can you just explain a little bit about that that aspect? Yeah, so if you're, if you're not using the converged auth preview, then you would be using just sort of standard Azure Active Directory authentication with the graph and using the OAuth2 flow that's that's been around in Azure Active Directory since I think last um, or a year ago from October, uh, which is the original design around um, doing authentication. So if you're familiar with the worker school accounts or organizational ID authentication or Office 365 authentication, all of that would be the same process you're using today. And then if you aren't using the converged input, the auth preview, then you actually can't access OneDrive personal accounts through the graph. Right, okay. Um, because the authentication, the, it requires that new authentication scheme. Sure, okay. But in terms of token handling and so forth, it's very easy to swap between one and the other because it's essentially you're just getting that token that you then call the graph with. Right, that's the great thing about everything is standardizing around the OAuth2 protocol is that uh, you know, once you know the the client ID that you have registered with the service, and then the token and authorization endpoints, the the flow is the same. The way that you deal with access tokens and refresh tokens is all really identical between all of these different implementations. Yeah, and and there's a lot of detailed. Uh kind of information about those authentication flows on the Azure AD website and kind of help using the Azure Active Directory uh, library, the ADOR libraries, to actually grab those tokens in a variety of different languages. It's not just for kind of those .NET users in Visual Studio. It's also for kind of Ruby and PHP and Android and iOS developers as well. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. If you are if you use the ADAL library, it takes care of all of these details for you. Um, that's the same thing as well as if you're using the OneDrive SDKs, which we have available for 
uh, .NET, iOS, Android, and Python. Those take care of all the details for you as well. So you just can really focus on coding your solution and let us take care of all of those details around how authentication works. Yeah, and and one of the things which is interesting, and it's something, again, we would we pushed very heavily on at Build in the preview of the Microsoft Graph when we called it the Office 365 Unified API, and previously at TechEd Europe where we showed about the um, the direct endpoints is the this notion of an ad-connected services in Visual Studio and how it kind of did all the plumbing for you if you're a .NET developer, whether you're a Xamarin, Cordova, or ASP.NET MVC, or ASP.NET Web, forms when you did add connected service you could select you know login into the your organizational account and then you could pick files and request what permissions you wanted on files like read or read and write and it would go and do all the plumbing in your visual studio project for you where we've been moving so fast from an engineering side on changing from direct endpoints to microsoft graph changing from kind of the authentication flow which was organizational account or personal account, i.e. Microsoft account and office uh, and work and school account, to more of a converged authentication flow. Uh, the tooling hasn't kept up because it, it, we're waiting for the general availability of this converged auth to do all that. And so the story right now to be kind of the latest and greatest, if you are in that Visual Studio world, would be to uh, file a new project in Visual Studio um, and click the auth button as part of that new wizard experience and then download the sdk.net dll's and and use those directly without using ad connected service um Eventually, we'll, we'll get there, but that's kind of where the story is at now, and we're about to ship um, some tr- new training that kind of explains that flow as well, so that if you are kind of walking down this path right at this time in Visual Studio, that's just one kind of cap- capture right now is that the ad-connected service is still baked to call the connected um, the direct endpoints rather than the Microsoft graph as well. That's right, and, and in the case of files, the connected service um, feature in Visual Studio actually is using the older version of the Files API as well. So it doesn't let you build a unified solution between personal OneDrive and OneDrive for Business. Yeah. And so you'd see that in the Fiddler calls or if you delved into the SDKs, that it would be, I think it's it's looking at the V1 direct endpoint rather than the V2. V2. That's correct, right? Um, So that's kind of where we're at in terms of that journey of the the APIs and so forth and how, you know, the tooling aspects of it. But um, Sean, in terms of the scenarios that we're seeing uh, both partners and also kind of enterprise developer teams within big organizations doing, what types of scenarios are you seeing? I mean, files can seem a little bit dry sometimes, like yeah, it's just yeah, a document yeah. being stored in a folder somewhere, but what are some of the things you're seeing that are really kind of showing the power of like leveraging OneDrive and OneDrive for Business inside the service? Well, I, I think the, one of the cool things about the OneDrive API that we have at right now is we're really trying to create a, a developer experience that's first class, right? Like, like all of our internal Microsoft apps are built using the OneDrive API, right? And so that's the same API that we make available to developers. And so with that power, basically you can create some really powerful things that do files. I mean, even when you think of things that almost even SharePoint is doing around, you know, workflow and file management, that you can really do using the OneDrive API because it's, it's not really the second class API. It, it, it really gives you, you know, access, you know, to permissions, um, you know, and, and uh, all the things that you may need to do to, um, to create a, kind of robust enterprise workflow app. You know, some of the things we're seeing, if you look at, I mean, actually, we're, we're excited. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with ODrive, like the meta cloud app um, that, 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 that people use to kind of do placeholders. You know, they, they just lost on OneDrive and OneDrive for Business. They use our converged API. So we're excited about that. Um, the, the, a small startup called Dockety, um, it basically you hook it up to your OneDrive and it looks through all your files and it's basically always looking to see um, what your new files are and it's helping you organize them. So it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a digital wallet. So you can, so it looks for things that maybe your social security card or maybe your driver's license and keeps them in a easy to find way. Right. So it's, it's basically a, a, a smart way of browsing your OneDrive for the documents that are most important to you. Um, so, so obviously that, that, that takes a lot of work with our, with our OneDrive API, but yeah, I mean, other than the uh, workflow stuff, I mean, there's there's our the basic data access stuff right like you know making it easy for users to get data created by other applications so that's like you know that's like your classic file picker and saver scenarios so you know partners like DocuSign and you know some learning partners like Canvas 
you know, it, it makes it makes it really easy just to, you know, um, and right. We actually, Ryan, we actually didn't even talk about the, the new picker. We should talk about the picker, but, but I mean, when you think about like getting, just getting started using OneDrive, the picker and data access scenarios are just the easiest thing. So let's actually stop. Let's, let's talk about the picker. Cause we just released that in preview about, um, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, we, we actually, so we didn't talk about this very much back in February either, Jeremy, but we, we have sort of two levels of integration when we think about how people connect to OneDrive. We have the the really robust, you know, fully featured API for deeper integrations. Um, and then we have sort of a lightweight integration model, which is very similar to like the common file dialogue experience that Windows offers, where you just want to be able to easily uh, open and save files from a OneDrive or a OneDrive from business, for business. And instead of needing to build a bunch of UI in your application and, and use the API to enumerate what files are there and upload files and download files and all of that, you can integrate with our Picker and Saver SDK, which is actually now available um, across all of the endpoints that we support for OneDrive. So we have uh, um, availability on iOS, Android, Windows, um, modern apps or, or universal Windows apps. And then the thing that Sean is just talking about is two weeks ago, we released a preview of the unified picker for JavaScript. So if you have a web-based application and you want to allow your users to attach files that are stored in OneDrive or OneDrive for Business, or actually open those files and, and do something with them, you can just integrate a few lines of JavaScript code into your application and um, call a function to be able to open a file, and then we get a, an asynchronous callback when we're done opening that file. So it's, or when we have that file available to you. So it's, it's a really easy way for you to be able to connect your application into OneDrive um, without writing a bunch of code. And we've seen, I think, actually one of the the first app, or we've seen a, a ton of different apps do it, and we've been working with a number of partners. Um, this sort of the end of this year and into early January to to go build on this and give us feedback as part of the preview so that we can get it available um, for everyone. And how does that, I mean, you go to dev.onedrive.com and you can see that the picker and saver uh, link there from that perspective. One of the other features as well that I've always been intrigued by um, that I know we didn't originally have in this, but I, I can see it here now is the app folders. Is that something that's in the service now for both OneDrive and OneDrive for Business? It's not there for OneDrive for Business yet. It actually has been coded up and is waiting for the holiday lockdown period to be over with so that we can get it out there in production. Yeah. And, and can, you, can you just explain what that scenario would be for um, if, uh, if someone wanted to use that compared to just dropping it directly in someone's yeah, the the and we actually have several special folders. So across both services, we have this concept of special folders, which is sort of like uh, known folders to the service. So if you want to be able to put something into the user's documents folder or the user's pictures folder, particularly on personal OneDrive, um, these things that have localized names based on the the language of the user and things like that, it's it's hard to navigate to find folders like that. So you can use the special folders collection to to get to those. And then this app folder concept is a a special folder that's really just for your application's data files. So instead of of dropping your files into the root of, of somebody's drive and or you know like creating a folder of your own somewhere randomly where the user doesn't necessarily know where to expect it, you can use the app folder concept and that will allow the service to go create a folder based on your application's name in a in a known location to the user, which is a folder called apps. Uh, so that they can see all of the files that are being created by an application and, and put things there. And then there's actually permission file permission or sorry application permission schemes where you can say I actually only want to have read write access to that folder. Um, don't give me access to the whole rest of OneDrive so that users can feel more confident trusting right. your application. Yeah, because that always used to worry me in any of the services that are file kind of cloud-based is that you install these apps and it asks for permission to your whole thing. Right. And there, there's me with a ton of sensitive documents in there that it's easy and convenient to have them up there, but at the same time, I don't really want every mobile app having access to my entire cloud drive for sure. Right, exactly. You know, How much do you trust that third-party developer who you're now giving access to all of your tax records and everything? Thing. Like it's, yeah, it is nice to be able to say like, oh, actually, just let it have access to that app. Folder. Right, right. And so that's coming for OneDrive for business as well, because obviously that would be another area where you could have a, an enterprise dev team in finance that has permissions to your OneDrive for business, but then there's another folder in there that's sensitive to another area of the business that they didn't want finance to have, for instance. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that, that's rolling out in early 2016. Great. That'll be really good. I mean, I know there's a lot of auditing and security concepts around kind of 
Chinese walls and so forth in terms of blocking people across different orgs to be able to do that. So that's really neat that you're, you're getting that in there, which is cool. And um, in terms of, you mentioned a few partners, um, Sean, there. Is there a place that they can go to see uh, what works with OneDrive in, in that sense across the API? Like I can see dev.onedrive.com has got uh, a few down the bottom there, but is there another directory or somewhere they could be kind of explore these things? Not yet. I mean, the huge feedback piece that we get, we, we had one for a period of time, uh, but we're actually, we're actually, re, we're actually redoing that and, and hoping to get that up in January. I think the one thing that we found is, is that, you know, there are a lot more apps connected to OneDrive um, than I think, you know, most users think about. Um, and because uh, it, it, it really starts from, you know, you, you know, we, we, we had a, you know, a huge SharePoint ecosystem connecting to files, you know, via kind of CSOM REST APIs, and then you had our OneDrive consumer audience, and then OneDrive for business developer audience. When you kind of bring that together, it's, it's actually a, a really big and robust ecosystem. And so we just wanted to find a better way to represent that. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're we're going to get that list up in, uh, in the next quarter. And then the, the if, the iftt.com, uh, I, I use this a lot with mail when certain things happen, and it kind of makes my certain devices bleep. But what have you got any set up with OneDrive and OneDrive for Business around IFT? Have you got any rules set up for you two? I, I don't think IFT works with OneDrive for Business. I think it's just consumer. Is it just right OneDrive? No, it, it does work for both of them. Um, we're actually in the process of modernizing how we have done that to make it a more useful experience because today the IFT integration that we have is really just about being able to put a file into OneDrive based on an action from some other place. Yeah. And we're looking at being able to actually generate actions out of OneDrive and um, have some sort of more robust conditions that you can apply or triggers that you can apply in IFT to, to make that a more valuable scenario. Right. So you could like watch folders and when files get dropped by a particular application that's storing in that, maybe the app folder, that IFT could then trigger an event to go and do something in another system. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. I know I've used one. I did the demo. Actually, I think it might have been Brian Jones in the demo at Tech of Europe around this where we showed that IFT had a document in Dropbox, we automatically went and pushed it into OneDrive as well. Kind of like, you know, like this fault tolerance across different cloud storage providers. <laughs> the automatic mirror feature, right? Like yeah, right. <laughs> Total replication, and it's, you know, guaranteed to always work, which is probably not always the case. The other aspect is, is how do we get started? If, if I was a brand new developer, mobile developer, web developer, where, where's the best place for people to go to learn about what these OneDrive APIs and, and, and what that learning journey looks like for them? Well, dev.onedrive.com is really the place to start. Um, so that, that uh, and you'll see that, you know, we pass users back between, um, you know, dev.onedrive when they're really thinking about files, but obviously if you're thinking about cross-workflow things, you'd want to think about the graph and that content's on dev that office.com obviously but I think that the two sites kind of cross link to each other so you'll see that but you know if you talk about dev.onedrive is the place to get started that you know that kind of has our documentation and, and you can kind of see where our github home is um, for all that uh, you know there's, there's actually a ton of content um, you know samples and, 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 and information on github as well um, so I, I think really building out you know that presence in that community um, was, was a huge uh, endeavor for the for the team over the past year. What else, Ryan? Yeah, I, I mean, graph.microsoft.io is the the homepage for all of the graph documentation, so it's a good place to go to read those things. We also um, we have a OneDrive user voice page, which is great for providing suggestions back to us um, for things that are missing from the developer platform and voting on other features that people are asking for. And then um, our GitHub issues list is is really where most of our um, technical support happens for the API. But we also monitor Stack Overflow as well, just to be out there as part of the community and make sure that we're answering questions that people have about how to integrate with OneDrive API and and get their questions answered. Cool. That's um, it's, it's good to kind of get an idea about where they can go. I didn't realize we had some of those samples. You guys have been really working hard on that from a... Uh perspective of pushing through some of those samples on like Python, SDKs and um, the Android stuff's up there obviously and the iOS stuff. So those SDKs that are OneDrive SDK specific, they all go against the direct endpoint and then obviously there's a graph SDK that's coming in preview shortly as well. That's right, yeah. The OneDrive SDKs today use our direct endpoint and we've been working with the the SDK team that's generating the graph SDKs to make sure that the the feel between what we have in the wonder of SDKs today and what the graph SDK feels like for files will have some continuity there so that we can uh, make it easy to migrate from solutions that start using wonder of SDK today into the graph SDKs later. Sweet. That's really cool. 
Right, well, I really appreciate your time. I know it's kind of a, a quiet week and you've probably still got a ton of Christmas shopping to do, no doubt, like I have. But um, I appreciate you being on the show. It'll be great to get you back on the show next year um, where we can talk a bit more about where kind of the convergence is completed and people are using uh, the API for both once the converged authors come out of preview and generally available and any new kind of features you've got coming and hopefully a good set of partners that we can show the power and the usage of you know what where we've gone again in, in further enhancing this OneDrive story. By next year, you mean 2016, right? It's not going to be a year. We'll be, we'll be back soon. Hopefully we have... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let you back on the show in December. <laughs> the, um, and then just to roll up, how, how can people follow you guys? Like I know, uh, Sean, we talked before the show, you have a Twitter account on Sean D. Maloney, which looks suspiciously as lonely as Rob Howes did when we talked about this on the show last week. So we have a, I'm going to have we, a mission to try and get you another 50 followers by, um, by the end of the year. That, that'll be my Christmas present to you. We have, a, we, we have an at OneDrive, uh, at OneDrive dev API account as well. It's at OneDrive dev is our, is our Twitter for the, the developer platform people. And we, we tweet on that somewhat regularly. Yeah, I can see that. And we just got to get you. And then, uh, and then we have you, our our our, our mother home of uh, of Office Dev. <laughs> yeah, right. We're, that 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 has a little bit more activity on it because we're sharing all the community stuff, not just across OneDrive, but across you know kind of the Outlook, Mail, kind of the contacts, and all the add-ins in the Office clients and. Yeah, it's just a broader story, I guess, than um, what you guys are kind of laser-focused on the OneDrive thing. But it's always interesting to see kind of how those stories are the same and sometimes different as well in terms of how you message as well. So it's good. No, our, our goal is to get you to talk about files as much as possible in, uh, <laughs> in Office Dev in the next year. You, you need jobs and you need the bills paid, right? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again for being on the show, guys. And um, we'll get you on sooner than the end of next year to talk a little bit more about where you guys are going on the Files API and Thanks again, and have a happy new year, everyone who's listening. Take care. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.